All right. Title for the podcast. Lukewarm versus ice cold. Because it sounds like we are like two cops in the 70s and we're going to fight crime. You're drinking lukewarm water and you asked for it specifically. Yes. And you said, I don't want anything cold. I don't. I cannot. Well, I mean, I'm physically capable of it, but I stop drinking water if there's not a higher ratio of ice to water. That's because like, you're American. You're not? I lived in Germany for two years and they completely beat ice water out of me. I go to Europe a lot and <laughs> I have found where I can get the ice water. And it is delightful to get the ice water. The other thing that I have learned is I have IBS mm. and ice water is apparently very bad. Cold water is very bad for your digestion. I so I just avoid that. it. Also, it's also bad for some other health reasons that I'm trying to remember, but I still love it. Well, you are welcome to. Mm -hmm. But does that mean that when we fight crime together, I get to be lukewarm? And yes. you get to be ice cold. Yep. That's also our rap names. Which which one of us drives and which one of us slides across the hood of the car? <laughs> because we have to get the important stuff figured yeah, that's out. That's right. That's right. And which one of us is the cop who's about to retire and has had a illustrious career? And which one is the cop on the edge who is about to get fired? And has and, to turn in their has gun to, and their badge. Yeah. One of us decides to stay on the force a little longer because no longer worn out by the job. And the other one decides to, you know, decides to toe the line a little bit more and realizes they can get things done. and The rules are there for a purpose. I think we can just trade. Okay. And oh. then our, our chief will be like, ice cold, turn in your gun and your badge. <laughs> Lukewarm here. You can have yours back. At least one of you has got to be armed. Okay. So anyway, remember last time when uh, we talked about movies that were not as bad as Rotten Tomatoes said they were? I do remember that, Dan, because I was here. <laughs> yeah. Recording Remember it with that you. thing that happened? So I have my list as well. We're going to do Dan's list. We're going to go through my list. My list is structured differently. This is not in order of maximum disparity. This is in descending order of tomato meter score. It's a good way to do it. So you ended with... Three amigos, Three amigos. which yep. due to some gross injustice being perpetrated upon the human species was ranked at a 45% on Rotten Tomatoes. This has got to be a Mandela effect. It is we actually, unconscionable. You and I have slipped into an alternate dimension where something happened in the filming of Three Amigos that left a bad taste in everyone's mouth. <laughs> it's like and that movie where no one knows who the Beatles were. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We're yeah. in the, the weird parallel reality where Three Amigos is terrible. So I'm going to start just right below there and then go down. Okay. So at 44%, we have the whole nine yards. Okay, yeah. Have it's you a, seen that one? Yeah, I like the whole it's nine yards. It's a great yards. one. That's Matthew Perry, yeah. Bruce Willis. Is it great? I love it. Okay. I'm not going to say it's great. I'm mm -hmm. not going to put it up amongst yeah. like the luminaries of cinema, but I love crime comedies. Uh -huh. And this is a fabulous crime comedy. I would also rate that higher. Like I would give that like a six or a seven. Probably. Yeah. Uh, so definitely that sounds fair it, to it's, me. It's too low. But is this a post Bruce Willis has given up movie or is it a pre Bruce Willis has given up or is it, he in it, the middle of giving up? As far as I know, maybe this is when he gave up. I don't know. He gives a good performance. It's him and Michael Clark Duncan yep. are like the actual criminals mm -hmm. and they're great together. I miss Michael Clark. Duncan. I know. He was great. Mm -hmm. And then you've got Matthew Perry as his dentist who gets embroiled in crime. Yes. And I think it's Amanda Peet who's his receptionist. 
who's like a hitman in training. Spoiler warning. Just everyone in the movie is... It, it's in that Get Shorty kind of space. Yep. And while Get Shorty is arguably my favorite gangster movie ever, this one is not that good, but it's good. It's fun to hang out with the characters. They made a sequel to it. Which is not good. I the whole 10 yards. It. I heard it was terrible. It's pretty terrible. Yeah. It's ranked much lower than 44, and it deserves so it to be done. it must have been that... We, you weren't the only ones. We weren't the only ones who thought, why did, why did everyone hate this movie? And because they, they wouldn't have made a sequel. Like I, I believe the movie was a box office flop. Was I could it? Be wrong. I have in my head that it's one of those films that was a flop. They got popular on video. That a lot of because I saw it on video. I saw it back in the days when we would someone would rent a often edited for television movie mm-hmm. and show it at our like school club get together thing that's when i saw it Uh, by the way some of those tv edits work a lot better than others i don't know was edited out of the whole nine yards but there were some films i Um, I saw i'm like there's a nude scene in it oh is there okay so warning there's a nude scene after i watched you know in college we watched that edited one Mm -hmm. and then some other time i was like hey look what's on netflix i'm gonna watch oh hey nude scene right see i had in my head it was one of these ones that's like successful after the fact but i guess it was successful no that's why they would make a film. There you go. Producer Adam has told me that the first movie had $106 million that's, box office. That's totally respectable for a little was, crime movie. Yeah, well, it was a comedy, so I bet the budget. What was the budget, Producer Adam? The budget was Bruce Willis's paycheck. Yes. And then everyone else got like, snacks. At 106 box office, you got to be, to be successful, it's got to be $30 million or below. If it's 40 to $50 million, Well, for a late 90s comedy? Yeah. Yeah, because uh, half of, remember, you're losing half of your money, so you double the budget for for mm-hmm. advertising, right? They yeah. may not have spent, but that's a rule of thumb. So they spent $80 million on this. The The foreign distributors are taking between 50 and 20%, depending on the foreign distributor. So they probably didn't make their money back at the studio. Maybe but, that's why they made a second one. Yeah. Because they're like, clearly this is popular enough. Yeah. Let's make a second one and, and make it for thirty million instead. Yeah, uh, I could be wrong on those numbers, but usually you have to take double the budget, and that box office is around break even. I bet they broke even on that first one if that's their worldwide take. Now it depends on their distribution deals, right? It depends on if, for instance, China was kicking in ten million to the budget and then getting this back on it, and and on a comedy, that's probably likely. And so it's possible that the the American filmmakers actually made a profit and the loss was taken, taken overseas. In foreign sales. That in fact that's probably likely, particularly since they went ahead with a, a go ahead and sequel. But 106 off of off of 41 is not a good box office. You know, now I'm really curious as to uh, who got the big paycheck because Bruce Willis was the movie star. Yes. But this was at the height of Friends popularity. Matthew Perry was pulling down millions per episode. Yeah. But yeah. how are you getting Bruce Willis and Matthew Perry? One of them was doing this in order to kickstart a movie career. That's true. Yes. So he might have taken a much lower paycheck for it. But Bruce Willis is not going to take a lower (laughs) paycheck for anybody but M. Night Shyamalan. Yeah. Yeah. They just, anyway. So whole nine yards. Okay. Let's uh, let's move on. Now, last time we talked about Sahara at 38, which is asinine. Yep. But uh, we won't talk about it again. What I am going to say at 36% is the movie Blue Streak with Martin Lawrence. 
Okay. I have not seen Blue Streak. I love Blue Streak. How have you not seen Blue Streak? I don't know how I haven't seen Blue Streak. As mentioned, Dan loves his crime comedies. Yeah. This is Martin Lawrence back when he was funny. Okay. And Luke Wilson back when nobody knew who he was. Okay. That frames the the movie for me. Yeah. It's Martin Lawrence as a jewel thief Uh who... uh, the, the the premise of it is convoluted. He steals some jewels, but then he gets caught. But before he gets caught, he hides them in a construction site. Okay. And then this when is he sounding gets, a lot like the whole nine yards. When he gets out of prison five mm-hmm. years later, yep. that construction site has been finished and is now a police station. So he <laughs> has to uh, pretend to be a cop in oh. order to get inside. What and a it's premise. so funny. It has a uh, minor role, Dave Chappelle, in like his very first movie role, okay. just a side character. Mm-hmm. Everyone in it is funny. Okay. I think it's hilarious. That's going on my list. That's going on my list for I sure. I love it. You know, and one of the things about Martin Lawrence that you got to prepare yourself mm-hmm. for is he keeps trying to start catchphrases. Uh-huh. And in this one, he has two, and neither of them really have any narrative weight to them or mean anything. But it's funny. And of course, the main joke is he knows nothing about police work. And they, by the end of it, they're convinced that he's like the greatest cop ever. And maybe Mm -hmm. he's Secret Service or something because his methods are weird. And I don't know. I love it. It does not deserve a 36%. Mm. For example, part of the reason that he gets so much cred inside Uh the police department is because he's a thief and he knows what to do. And so uh, when he gets in there and he immediately gets sent out on a case somewhere with Luke Wilson as his junior partner, and some guy has reported that people broke into his warehouse and stole a bunch of really expensive rims for cars. And, you know, Luke Wilson is over there studiously taking notes. But Martin Lawrence immediately is like, well... I know exactly how they got in because I know how I would have got in. And he solves the crime in like 30 seconds instead of, you know, going through the motions of of actual police work. What I like about this, I often talk about how competence is one of the things that drives a story, right? Like there are three things in general that I think attract people to characters. One is competence, uh, one is proactivity, and one is relatability, right? And... Competence is a tough one because if your character is too competent in the film, it'll feel like problems are easy for them, right? And so you have this balancing act where you make them competent in one area and incompetent in another. But what I like about this, I've never really analyzed this before, taking someone whose competence itself is the dangerous aspect. Like he knows this because he is a criminal. Mm -hmm. So his competence comes into play. He has a superpower in that he is a former criminal. And yet, if anyone knew why he has the superpower, it would destroy the entire story for him. Yeah. And so it's a really clever way to make someone competent, but leave the tension in what's happening. And you can do it in a comedic way here because mm-hmm. then they they laud him when he's a criminal. And obviously you have this reversal yeah. of fortune, which makes it funny. But you could do it in a non-funny way and make it a thriller, you know, make it tense where mm-hmm. this person's going to give away their competence and then they're going to get found out. So let's look at another scene from it. There's Mm -hmm. one where he goes into a convenience store just to buy some candy bars or something. And this is where Dave Chappelle shows up and tries to rob the place. And so, of course, Martin Lawrence is able to defuse this Mm because he knows this guy. They know each other. And he's able to stop this from happening. And it goes on. and, And he looks like a super cop. But at the same time, 
Dave Chappelle is threatening to expose him and all these other things. It's a much cleverer movie than I think it gets credit for. That's legit genius storytelling when you can do things like that. You can make the mm-hmm. story work on those multiple levels at the same time. Give us the thrill of the cop solving the crime with the tension of will he be found out? It's really great. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, let's move on then. This is another one that really genuinely shocked me. 13th Warrior. Oh, is yeah. Is it 33%? That is also criminal. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a, a yes. That's Michael Crichton. Michael right? Crichton. Good Antonio book. Banderas. Movie is a little different from the book, but in, a, in, in, I think, improved ways. Eaters of the Dead is the name of the book, by the way. And it's based on a real historical character, this uh, very famous, I want to say, Arabian scholar, played mm-hmm. by Antonio Banderas in this case, who goes north and hooks up with some Vikings and kind of goes around trying to solve this mystery that seems like there's a supernatural monster. It's almost yep. like a Beowulf story. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I love it's about definitely it... definitely a bit. Like, that's what they're... Yeah. That's the whole imagery they're evoking is Beowulf story. One of the things I love about this is that there's a scene in it where they encounter the probably supernatural horror of these eaters of the dead. And they're like, oh my gosh, there's a monster. And that's very effective by itself. But later in the movie, they realize that they're not supernatural. They're just people. And people who are capable of those atrocities are somehow so much more frightening and the movie captures both of those moments of realization. It's so good. It uh, It's also one of the only historical fictions I've seen that really pays attention to the languages people are speaking in a way that helps the I seem the to remember story. it had a really cool scene with that, kind of one of those language transition points where mm-hmm. you understand, but first you don't, and then you do, and some of these things where you, you're put in the head of Antonio Banderas trying to figure this out and be able to understand. Yeah. I liked a lot of the cultural stuff. I feel like it it was very accurate to what I understand of historical Viking era sort of things, and the actors really sold it well. Their view on death compared to a modern view on death felt very accurate to what I have read of the period, and mm-hmm. also hauntingly so, right? Like, it's not like they don't value life, but they are familiar and acquainted with death in a way that is horrifying to me as a yeah. modern person in you know with modern well, medical and, and they were able to do that by using you know the arabian character as a lens because yeah. at that point in history that was like the height of the western civilization they were so much more advanced yeah. than anything in europe or northern europe and so he's it's almost like he's traveling into the past and dealing with, you know, not cavemen, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's ah, I love the Thirteenth Warrior. It's I great. was shocked to see it at thirty three. I do remember it, it being one of those movies that appeared and then vanished really fast. It's another one I saw on video for the first time. This is mm-hmm. actually reference to last week. Scar showed this one to me. Oh, this is another well, Scar there you movie go. where Scar is a soldier and Scar likes soldierly movies or warriorly movies that that, in his opinion, accurately depict 
what it's like to be a soldier. Mm-hmm. And in this movie, I would say, you know, from my little understanding of it, it, it totally sold me that it was doing that. It's one of the Scar movies. That I'm like, wow, this is a great movie. How have I never seen this? <laughs> it's one of his favorite movies of all time. Oh, it's it's a really good one. Deserves to be much higher than 33. There is a magic card named that. Eater of the Dead. Eater. Oh, I was going to say Warren Wisher. No, no, that's a good name for the podcast. There's a magic card named that. There's a magic card named that. Yes, because it's called Eater of the Dead. And what I love about it is the old school magic cards, you would it would have to name a creature type that it was. Like if it was a zombie, you would summon a zombie. You'd like summon zombie. And this one, you summon an eater. <laughs> I don't know what an eater is, but you summon an eater. It's like a wolf monster thing. It's called... Because they like Eater of the Dead. Well, we summon that. Now, if there's a card that's Eater of the Dead, I would want it to unsummon a zombie. Oh, uh, yeah. That's, that's a good point. Could we call our show Podcasters of the Dead? Uh, no. Oh, fine. <laughs> All right. So the next one on my list, mm-hmm. it, I put on here mostly as a joke because it's like the Portuguese version of Annie Hall. And Annie Hall's one of my favorite movies ever. Okay. And for some reason, this translation of it into Portuguese or Spanish or something is down at 29. And I just find that really weird. I'm sure that that's just like, I don't know why the, How the, many critics the were translation there? is a separate entry from the core one. Maybe it just doesn't play in Portuguese. I don't know. Annie it's a classic. movie that's all about talking. So uh-huh. whatever. That's interesting. It plays into this thing that I've I found very interesting about Hollywood in the last 20 years, which is that you don't see very many in Hollywood of these sort of, I mean, the mid to low budget drama and comedy. So what you see are big budget comedies, which are these kind of really dumb over the top movies. Mm-hmm. They're not that big budget, but they're big feeling, right? Yeah. They feel Hollywood or that have big stars, comedy vehicle with big star. And you see Oscar bait kind of big Oscar bait drama. Those mm-hmm. get made. But what you don't see are the the step down. These kind of smaller, quieter movies. You don't see romantic comedies. We kind of fall into this sort of category also. You don't see very many of those anymore. You don't see the the low budget comedy like Three Amigos kind of well, feel. Three Amigos is a bad example because it had Chevy Chase and some big stars. Yeah, yeah, but Steve Martin. The, the Naked Gun is a better example. I, I'm, I'm going to say that that's how it was. We absolutely were in a place 10, even five years ago, where every movie that came out was either a massive studio tentpole or Mm -hmm. a tiny little indie. And I think that the binge native stuff is changing that. Because you are seeing mid-budget rom-coms and stuff on Netflix, and and those are kind of coming back, I think. But they are, but I was always curious why. I know why now. Ooh. why this happened and why it's changing back a little bit now. Okay. So the why is that it is very, very hard to make a big expensive film. And so because of that, local film studios don't do it, right? And if you are in Portugal, you mm-hmm. are not going to make a big budget action film if you are a portuguese person who wants to make those you will move to hollywood or maybe you know bollywood or one of these other centers you might move to you know you're not going to make it but you can make a small budget comedy and it actually is going to land way better than a translation so it relates to this Mm -hmm. of an american comedy because comedy is one of those things that's really hard to sell in translation 
because for obvious that makes reasons, sense. Yeah. right? You can also make a low budget drama that plays into the specific dramatic sort of political movements that are happening in your country. You can make a $5 million film in, you know, Portuguese or French or one of these, these things and do a really good, excellent job of that. You see this even with something like, you know, Korean films, right? Like Parasite totally could be made in Korea, but Snowpiercer needed American involvement or chi and Chinese mm -hmm. involvement in order to make this film because it's a very big, high concept science fiction piece, right? Yeah. And so what happened is Hollywood realized they weren't able to make foreign money on some of these things. And so they fell out of favor. There's lots of pressures. I'm sure you can yeah. name some others, but one of the reasons is they didn't need to. But Netflix is in all of these countries. And Netflix has arms that are creating films in lots of different languages. And what Netflix is doing is it's like, if our American or English language people enjoy this and it keeps them subscribed, then it's great for us. You know, our profit margins are not the same sort of way. We don't need to cover the big flops that we spend 300 million on with big successes that we spend 300 million on. We can buy a bunch of $20 million films in all of these different languages and mm -hmm. make it work. And so it is coming back. You're right, because of these things. But one of the main reasons was, was <laughs> this. And I thought of that when the Portuguese version of Annie Hall is just one of those things. It's, it's interesting to see the economics behind the scenes. And the more I learn from my movie friends, the more interesting I find a lot of this. That is really interesting. Okay, so you want to know what's at also at 29% on Rotten Tomatoes? I absolutely want to know what is also at 29%. Accidental Spy with Jackie Chan. Oh, that is sad. Now, that's not like top tier Jackie Chan. No, it's not. But it's not 29%. No, it's probably still better than some of his American collaborations, right? His full on. I guess that one is an American collaboration, isn't it? Accidental but, Spy? I yeah. don't think so. I, th I thought that one was filmed in America with American money, but I could be I wrong. Know. Yeah, it's better than Shanghai Nights. Yeah, there you go. That's, yeah, like, it's a good movie. Yeah. It's a great premise that is a little well-worn but <laughs> but it's good and he's good in it yeah for yeah. crying out loud you know what else is 29 percent? what else is 29 percent? dangerous minds with michelle pfeiffer so the the thing with dangerous minds is they actually i really loved this she's an english teacher kind of like an inner city thing similar to stand and deliver with edward james almost and she can't get these high school students to relate to classical poetry believe it or not because nobody can regardless of which high school you're in. And so she's talking to one of the other teachers there and says, well, who's your favorite poet? And he says, oh, well, obviously it's Dylan. And she says, Dylan Thomas. Yeah, he's one of the greats. He says, no, I'm Bob Dylan. And so then she sets up this thing for her students, which is, the, they call it the Dylan Dylan contest, and says, you just need to examine the bodies of work of these two artists and find the crossover between them. And it's, you know, Dylan Thomas's his most famous poem is uh, Rage, Rage Against the Dying of the Light, that whole thing. And then the Bob Dylan song that uh, they compare it to is I Will Not Walk Down Into My... I can never remember the title of it. I will not go down, I will down to the grave when I die. When I go to the grave, my head will be high. I will die on my feet or something like that. Anyway, the point is, this is pure English major wankery and... I'm here for it, is what I'm trying to say. Let me die on my feet. That's what it's called. Which he actually wrote because he saw people building bomb shelters during the big, you know, oh, nuclear scare right. in the 60s. And he's like, why would you dig a hole 
for your own grave so that you can walk down into it and die. And he wrote this whole song about how, let me die on my feet, I'm not going to bury myself. Anyway. Producer Adam, look up for me. Was it Bob Dylan who won the Nobel Prize in Literature a few years back? Or is it a different, am I thinking of a different songwriter? Okay, yeah. Bob so, Dylan. Bob did. Dylan. It was it was a big deal when he was offered it. Mm. There were lots of jokes that they were doing it so they get a free concert. <laughs> but I believe there was some sort of rigmarole where he was not going to accept it, and then he did, and stuff like that. So Bob Dylan did get the Nobel Prize for literature in, in 2016, 2016, but did not show up to get for, it himself. Like song lyrics? Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. Well, then. yeah. It was a big deal. And I noticed huh. it and I I'm, I was all for it, right? Like, I think that popular media does not get enough recognition, but I might be biased. It doesn't get enough recognition for its literary so, value. Clearly, if you want to get a Nobel Prize for popular fiction, you just have to have a 70-year career as one of the greatest songwriters of all time. Yes. That's what it takes. You have to be Bob Dylan to get it for popular. Did, did you ever yeah. see the Bob Dylan biopic where a bunch of different actors play him? Yeah, actually, because they had some women play him. Yeah, Kate yeah. Blanchett. Kate plays Blanchett. Him. It was just one woman. Yeah, and she did uh, a good job. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. She was nominated for an Oscar for it. I yeah, think. I don't think she won, but yeah, it's really interesting. If you guys are interested in this topic, Stephen King's National Book Awards speech yes. as a piece of literature, he goes after him. He is a great piece of uh, of writing to read about. You can be Stephen King and get a National Book Award. Apparently, <laughs> yes. But it says a lot to me that he used that platform to basically say you shouldn't have to be Stephen King to win these kinds of awards. That's basically what it said. And they gave him a Lifetime Achievement Award, which is kind of the, our bad, none of your books were good enough at the time, but the whole body of work, which is kind of maybe okay, but I think also is kind of a, you know. Yeah. And he's basically going after, you know, not specifically genre fiction, but just popular fiction. Yeah, he talks about Patrick O'Brien a lot, or mentions Patrick O'Brien. It's a great little essay that I enjoy reading. But again, I'm a little biased in this regard, (laughs) one might say. One might say I might have some horses in this particular race, so. A couple. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What's your next? All right, so now we're dropping quite a bit. Okay. From 29 down to 16%. Ooh. You know what's at 16% on Rotten Tomatoes? Mm. I Spy. Really? Owen Wilson and Eddie uh, Murphy. That's, a, that's yeah, not that's a 16% That's not movie. a 16% no. movie. No, in fact, I would put that in the 70s. And maybe that's a little high. Yeah, I don't know because if I was 70s. It's, it's definitely a ridiculous, mm. over-the-top thing. Yep. But... Come on. I mean, Eddie Murphy has only made a tiny handful of good movies in the last 20, 25 years. Yeah, but when he wants to, he does, right? Like, when he wants to, I don't know why he doesn't always want to, but, you know, when he really wants to make a good film, he goes and makes a good film. The last really great comedy that he made, I think, is Bowfinger. Yeah, Bowfinger is... And Bowfinger is, you know, way up on the rankings, and everyone loves it, and rightly so. I think it's arguably two of the best performances he's ever given. Yes. But I love his character in I Spy. Mm-hmm. I like Owen Wilson in it. I like Famke Jansen in it. It's a good movie. Agreed. Thumbs up to that one. Okay, yeah. So I don't really have as much to say about it because like, when we talked about Equilibrium, mm-hmm. we could talk about all the ridiculous sci-fi conventions. And this isn't doing that. This is just trying to 
parody James Bond, yes. basically. And I wonder how much of the bad ratings were people comparing it to the old TV show. Okay, yeah. But that's... I don't know, because how many people have even remember the old TV show? Yeah. Well, and it's not like Bill Cosby has any, any... beloved. At the yes. time, I guess he did, because I Spy's pretty old. Yeah. And I mean, the old TV show, I've only seen a few episodes, but didn't it play things a little more straight than the it movie? It did. And so there's this theme of... I was noticing this when I was looking through all of these films that were low. There's this theme of sequel or remake that does not seem to respect the subject material the mm. way we think it should and therefore is lower than it deserves to be. Now, a lot of these are bad films, but a lot of them, like <laughs> again, don't deserve to be at the same rating as The Room or yeah. as Plan 9 from Outer Space, where I love both of those movies, by the way, but not because <laughs> they're good movies, but because they're bad movies, right? Yeah. And you can't really compare an actor who is a legitimately good actor doing a good performance in a movie that is maybe a bad sequel to the disaster that is Plan 9 from Outer Space, <laughs> right? You know, and now that you're talking about good actors, it does occur to me that a lot of things on your list were like Christian Bale giving a really solid performance in a pretty goofy movie. Yes. And so many of my list are, well, you know, it's Blue Streak. It's a con man who's just talking really fast. I Spy is two con men mm -hmm. who were talking, talking really, really fast. fast. Like, you get Eddie Murphy and mm -hmm. Owen Wilson in the same movie. They're both specifically famous for never shutting up. And you get the two of them together, and it's just kind of, we'll talk our way out of trouble. You really like dialogue writing. I've noticed this from some of your favorite films and television shows, that good dialogue is just a damn thing. <laughs> right? Am I right on that? You are. Mm -hmm. And I'm laughing because I cannot think of a single quote from i spy mm, yeah um which maybe is a reason that it's not as high up as it right. is i, I just, strongly suspect a lot of that movie was just ad-libbed given yeah, the two actors in yeah, it yeah they would definitely do that but i think it is disrespectful perceived disrespect of classic movie like the only thing that's managed to to be super successful doing that i think is 21 drum street reimagining the original mm -hmm. and that's because the original has that goofy 80s-ness to it that everybody was kind of okay with a movie that was both a spoof and a remake at the same time. Yeah. Uh, most of the time when you try that, you end up with something that is hated by the original fans and not understood by everyone else, and you get a kind of a disaster of a movie. Yeah, I mean, Starship Troopers is kind of that, right? Starship Troopers, which I happen to actually really like. Well, Starship Troopers is really good at being something that nobody thought it was yes it's really good at being an utter takedown and destruction of the book in every conceivable <laughs> way mixed with a satirical take on big budget hollywood sci-fi mm. and i consider that one i mean this would be another great topic for a podcast would be books to film and oh like, man so many we, we, should, we could we could talk about yeah, adaptations we're, we're forever. totally gonna do that but the thing is like I'm conflicted about Starship Trooper because it is a thorough takedown of the original author in a kind of horrifying way, <laughs> but in a brilliant way. Yeah. So. Um, I don't know. Maybe this is too big of a can of worms to get into and just talk about Starship Troopers. Yeah. But it's a movie that I think deserved an indictment of itself. Yeah. While also still being a brilliant kind of godfather of modern science fiction. 
Yeah. Okay. We will talk about book to movie adaptations and we'll talk in depth more about Starship Troopers. How about All right. Well, we'll for now, it. we'll just go back to I Spy, which yeah. has no memorable dialogue mm -hmm. except for I get to be a jellybird. That's the only part that I remember. <laughs> anyway, I Spy. Go watch it and then tell me that it's absolutely as bad as I don't remember it being. Now, so down at the bottom, yes. 9%. Okay. I've got two 9% movies. Two 9%. This is our, this is our end of the, dance. The first yeah. one mm -hmm. I talked about before, Mom and Dad Save the World. Okay. I have not seen Mom and Dad Save the World. Now, see, Mom and Dad Save the World, in stark contrast to I Spy, I could probably quote you the entire movie. Commander, this human, this Earthman has a light grenade for a head. That's so funny. I will trust you that that is funny. <laughs> I do not know this film. So it's Jeffrey Jones, who was the principal in Ferris Bueller. Okay. And he is married to Terry Garr. Okay. Mm -hmm. And they are this kind of frumpy, joyless, middle-aged parents. Okay. And he's the kind of loser who gets in his car to pull out of his driveway 20 feet and pick up the newspaper and then pull back into his garage. Okay. Does Cannot he ever get to not play a loser? He just has that... <laughs> I don't know. He has anyway. that kind of aura yeah. about him, doesn't mm -hmm. he? So they decide they need to like rekindle the romance or they need to do something. They need to get away. And so they go on the most stereotypical baby boomer vacation in their station wagon. But meanwhile, John Lovitz, who is on this okay. hidden 10th planet of the solar system that nobody knows, he is going to blow up Earth because he wants to be the best planet in the solar system. But while he's looking at Earth, he sees Terry Gar and falls in love with her. And he teleports them to his planet. Okay. So then she spends the rest of the movie in the palace being courted by John Lovitz at the height of his comedic ridiculousness. Okay. And Jeffrey Jones is out in the wilderness trying to survive and so overthrow no the kids? evil king. No, the, just... the kids stay home. There's no kids there's in a Mom movie and Dad Mom... Save the World. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. I think we're going to have to have a showing of this film in my theater when it's done. And I you can own it. So you, you can. Oh, you do. I do own a copy. Is it was it the in first 4K? DVD that I ever purchased with oh, my no. own money. Yeah. It's got like. Is it actually legitimately the first DVD you ever bought? Yeah, it is. Wow. It is. It has Eric Idle. Okay. As the rightful king of the other planet. Okay. And his daughter is Kathy Ireland. Okay. This is the only movie she's been in for good reason. She is not an actor. I can't remember what nameless beefcake plays the king's son. Uh-huh. Vicini is in it. Oh, yeah. The, Grand the, the, Negus the, himself. Yeah. It's good. And it has, you know, and I quoted the line of dialogue before that I love. That's All right. my wife you're trying to marry. That's my planet you're trying to blow up. So, and that's just some guy. Question for the comments. Who has worse taste? Brandon <laughs> for liking Hook. Or Dan. Oh wait, no, we have to we have to do it. Brandon for liking Kung Pao, which is which is pretty terrible. Or Dan for liking Mom and Dad Save the Earth. Vote in the comments. Vote in the comments. And let us know who has worse. See, taste. and it, it's good to get that out now because mm -hmm. I know that my last one, mm -hmm. while still not a great movie, right, is probably a little more respected. Okay. Then mom and dad save the world. Are you okay. ready for the final one? Final, final one. I'm ready. This is this can be the last one on my list mm -hmm. is Supergirl. Oh, the the uh, yeah, the old movie. The early 80s, 1984. Mm -hmm. Helen Slater, who I don't I don't remember who she is or if she's ever done anything else, but Faye Dunaway was the villain. Uh-huh. Like the yeah. 
gender swapped Lex Luthor. Yeah, she wants a magic gem, I believe. Yeah. I think that for some reason, Supergirl has a magic gem. Supergirl has a magic gem or something. It's some kind of fusion of Krypton powers. And a lot of the movie doesn't make any sense. And no, I will readily admit that. Isn't it like very Supergirl is in college with like gal pals and things no, like that? No, it's like she is sent to Earth because the little crystal she has has absorbed too much of the city's power where she's been sent. Mm-hmm. And so she has to escape. She has to go live on Earth for a while. Okay. And so Faye Dunaway is like a wizard who recognizes this and wants to get it. Does but she they're want to both, be immortal? Is they're that, both that... in love with yeah. the... No, it's worse. Uh-huh. Faye Dunaway just wants a man. Wants a specific man. That's right. I have seen this. And film. this little magic yes. crystal is going to help her get it. She's got a love potion, a guy. Yes. And she's like 20 years older than him. Yes. Yeah. Directed by Jeannot Swark. You know what? Good job on the gender bending there. That is totally <laughs> creepy when a guy does it, and it's equally creepy when a woman does it, and it's mm-hmm. yay for gender equality. Yeah. and uh, You know the- what? It's equally creepy if you're the same age as the person, also when you're using a magic gem to make them fall in love. Yeah, any, any kind of that. forced yeah. romance is terrible. But uh, Faye Dunaway's got a sidekick. Mm-hmm. You know, in the Superman movies, there was, uh, you know, Lex Luthor had the yep. little bumbling assistant guy. Yep. And the girlfriend. And Faye Dunaway has got like this kind of wine aunt that just follows her around and is always sassy and slightly inebriated. And it's wonderful. Like I would watch an entire movie franchise of the two of them, whether Supergirl was in it or not. Okay. I have seen this movie. I don't. You probably haven't seen it in the last 30 something years. I don't think it's good, Dan. That's the thing. No, I. I agree with you. I think it's like a three. It's not a 3%. No, no, no. Oh, you mean like a three out of 10? So like a 30%? You know, I'm I'm going to agree with you. Okay. And I I had made this list. Oh, that's right. Before I knew that you were cutting out the ones that they have to be bumped up over the line into freshness in order to count. That's good. Our list would be very much the same. This one doesn't go over that line. Uh I honestly don't think Mom and Dad Save the World does either, except that I personally have deep nostalgia for it, and I love it. Supergirl is not good. I remember when I was in third grade, Mm -hmm. which would have been around 84, 85, or no, it must have been a few years after. Anyway, I watched it at my birthday party. Wow. And I was so excited, because I'm like, this is such a great movie. Superheroes are the best. Let's watch Supergirl. I, at the time, was not yet a Faye Dunaway fan. She has become one of my favorite actors from stuff like Bonnie and Clyde and Network. Right. And I remember China some Town. scenery chewing from her, which in a good way. Yeah. In that film. So, yeah. She seemed to know what kind of movie she was in. And there, <laughs> and there are really two enjoy things being you can do it. with that. You can either play it straight and have it be good, mm-hmm. or you can ham it up in the right way. And that's. I think hard to do, right? Like yeah. there are some people who can really ham up a part and elevate it by actually chewing the scenery. I think that happens a lot in bad films with good actors who want to have fun. The bad way to do it is to be like, I'm in a bad film. I'm Whoopi Goldberg with a talking animatronic dinosaur. I'm just going to hate this process <laughs> the entire time, which don't get me wrong. That movie is fun to watch. Do you know what movie I'm talking about? No, I don't. Theodore Rex. 
I have never heard of they that. They took one of the puppets from the Dinosaurs television show. I'm sure. Yeah, I could be wrong. But it's like okay. basically the same puppet as like the dad. Mm-hmm. But they made him look like a young hip thing. And it's a buddy cop movie with Whoopi Goldberg. Oh, man. And she won the Oscar. That sounds amazing. She won the Oscar and then had to make this movie because she'd signed a contract to do it before <laughs> she won the Oscar. And you can tell this movie is one of my favorite bad movies because it's cringe bad, right? It's like I talked about how bad comedy is bad. This one is bad comedy, but you also get to see Whoopi Goldberg trying to act opposite the dinosaur's flatulent. Like that's one of his things is um, like this is a world where dinosaurs it's like dinosaurs, the TV show, which was actually legitimately good, where oh, dinosaurs that. are like legit grown up. They've been brought back and elevated, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Uplifted. Okay. And so it's just there's like dinosaurs. Everywhere. So it's Alien Nation but yes. with dinosaur. Puppets. Alien Nation with dinosaurs at the cutting edge of technology of prop technology, but props from a comedy show put opposite <laughs> Whoopi Goldberg trying to act as straight cop. Right? Straight man cop against the goofy, bumbling. How high was the movie studio producer who's like, you know what we need to put together? Alien Nation and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That's absolutely the pitch that they had was TMNT (laughs) on this because it's that same animatronic era. Yeah, it's Um, got to be. Oh, man. Like, oh, you got to see this movie just to see how painful it is for Whoopi Goldberg to have to be in this film. See, and it's good that she Mm -hmm. got the Oscar first. Yes. Because Eddie Murphy was in a similar situation because he was in Dreamgirls and was stellar in it. Mm Hit it out of the park, nominated for an Oscar. And then before everyone voted, Norbit came out, which is one of the worst movies ever made. Mm -hmm. And he lost all of his goodwill. Yeah, yeah. All right. This has been a fun experience. Um, we we will we will be doing more talk about our favorite movies, but we may have to now invert this. But before we do, like, I think next time I really want to talk about this idea of can a movie be perfect? Can maybe, a movie be perfect? Yeah. And how do we rank them? How do we rank them? And then then maybe we'll talk about movies that are high ranked that we don't think should be. Or maybe we'll talk about something that's not movies for once. Who knows? Are there movies that you consider perfect? Yeah, tons. Okay. Well, let's make a list of movies we each consider perfect. Okay. Okay. And I'll I'll restrict it. Maybe not to the top 10, but to 10. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There we go.